Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the second season of Jesus Stories. This is the podcast which tells the stories of Jesus' life and teaching in an informal, informative, and interesting way. I'm your storyteller. I'm George Taylor. We're reviewing some key points in the life and the teachings of Jesus. This week, we continue with the teaching that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is a core message for Jesus, one that scholars believe that Jesus repeated on a regular basis. So it takes up three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. It's an upside-down view of the world, definitely of a world that Jesus lived in, but even today, following these teachings is indeed countercultural, and we're going to get to that teaching in just a moment. First, we must talk about the beginning of season three of this podcast. The Lord willing, I'm planning for this season to start early in January. I want to feature stories of people meeting Jesus and what it has meant for their lives. I'm lining up interviews now about these stories. So what about you? Do you have a Jesus story to tell? Would you be willing to share this story with me? And would you allow me to share this story with the world? I could even let you tell your own story if you wished. Just contact me. Just use the website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Me tab in the menu and send me an email or a DM. Let me remind you that this podcast comes to you because of your support, both in prayer and from your pocketbook. We appreciate that support. Have you joined us in the making of this podcast? You can support us financially by going to our website, jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab and find the method for supporting us that best fits your budget. Now, Let's get to our story for this episode. Tell me 
In our last episode, we reviewed the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. We saw that it was a totally upside-down way of thinking compared to the world as we know it and compared to the world as Jesus' listeners would know it. He said, you're blessed or happy when your humility and submission to Jehovah God prompts you to seek him with all your heart, to show people mercy, to remain pure in the face of culture, and to seek the peace of Jehovah. You're blessed or you're happy when this behavior causes the world to hate you and persecute you. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus continues with the pronouncement of woes. These are recorded in Luke's version of the sermon. What are woes? Woes are the opposite of blessings. Some translations use the words, what sorrow awaits you in the passage we're looking at in Luke. The original Greek word implies a situation of horror, disaster, or calamity. Jesus has painted a picture for us with blessings, and now he's going to paint a picture which is the opposite. What happens to us when we are not seeking and submitting to Jehovah and showing mercy, remaining pure, and seeking peace? He begins with this statement. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. Now that sounds scary enough. But then he continues, What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you? What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow? What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised the false prophets? Rich is, of course, a relative term. Those in my country, the United States, no matter your economic standing, would be considered rich to a first-century poor person. For them, there were days without food or any possibility of food for tomorrow. There was no social net to try to catch them in their need. The rich, on the other hand, never worried about having their basic needs met. Jesus wasn't condemning the rich. He was condemning those who leaned on their riches, their provision, for their happiness and their social acceptance, rather than leaning on God. That dependence on things of this earth would turn against someone. You'll be happy in your riches now, but only for now. You who are fat and prosperous will experience hunger. If you depend on laughter now, that will turn to sorrow. And your social acceptance now is only temporary praise. There is nothing wrong with any of these situations, but depending upon these riches, joyfulness, accolades, instead of depending on Jehovah, will lead to just the opposite of what you experience now. It's a choice between an earthly perspective or a heavenly or spiritual perspective. We've talked before about seeing Jesus teaching through earthly eyes versus spiritual eyes. Now he's asking us to view our lives in that same way. In the same vein, he makes two comparisons for his followers to consider. He says, first, you are the salt of the earth. 
Then he follows by saying, you are the light of the world. In both of these instances, he is talking about how followers of Jesus leave their marks on the world around them. And in both instances, it doesn't take much. A little salt changes the flavor of food, and a little light breaks through the darkness. But, he warns, what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? That's a concept we really don't experience in our modern world. However, in the first century, salt could indeed lose its flavor, and when it did, it was tossed out into the road to be run over by wagons, horses, and other feet traveling the road. And light is meant to be seen, not hidden under a basket. As the light of the world, Jesus' followers are like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. But this light is not the light of the individual person. It is a light reflected from the one who gives the light to Jesus' followers. The moon doesn't have a light to glow on its own, and Jesus' followers don't have a light to shine. But as the moon reflects back to us the glow of the sun, Jesus' followers have the light of Jehovah to reflect back to the world. Jesus' followers reflect the glory of Jehovah and bring praise to him. The life of the Beatitudes reflect back to the world, a life of humility and submission to Jehovah God, showing mercy to people, remaining pure in the face of culture, and seeking the peace of Jehovah. That brings glory to him. Before Jesus moves on, he must now address some misconceptions that are already cropping up about his ministry. Since Jesus has shown that he will work quote, unquote, on the Sabbath, his disciples might believe what the Jewish leaders are saying, that Jesus is breaking the law of Jehovah and thus could not be the one who has come from heaven. He leads with this statement, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus refers to the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. I think we need to define what he's talking about. The law of Moses refers to the commands given by Jehovah to one of the great leaders of Israel named Moses. Who is Moses? Moses was born at a time when Israel was held in slavery by the Egyptian pharaohs. For almost 400 years, they had languished in slavery before Moses came along. Moses was born into that slavery, but because of God's providence, he was raised in the Pharaoh's household. At the age of 40, he left Egypt to live for another 40 years in the wilderness that he would later lead the people of Israel through. So at age 80, he is summoned by God to deliver a message to the Pharaoh. Let my people go. After Pharaoh's obstinate refusal and God's plagues visited on the Egyptian land, Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Ultimately, he takes them to Mount Sinai. On that mountain, God delivers to Moses a law, a code, where God explains how he wishes the people of Israel to live to honor Jehovah. This code becomes known as the law, and that's in quote, and it is capitalized. What about the writing of the prophets? 
As Israel's history progressed, the leaders and the people became less obedient to Jehovah. The prophets were messengers from Jehovah, sent to warn the Israelites of his intention to punish the leaders and the people should they continue in their current course of disobedience. His punishment? Captivity or slavery. Well, just to give you the complete picture, the Israelites chose to continue on their disobedient path. Jehovah sent first the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire to punish his people for their disobedience. But even during the time of these captivities, Jehovah continues to send his prophets to encourage his people. All of these writings, the law and the prophets, are what we now call the Old Testament. The religious leaders at the time of Jesus had some real problems with the ministry of Jesus. They thought that he was violating the law. After all, we've already seen him do healings on the Sabbath, the day of rest. We discussed this in episode 10, the Sabbath challenge. Furthermore, they saw Jesus' associations with people who were not like them to be a challenge to the law and to their power. As a result of these perceptions, the leaders thought that Jesus was there to abolish or even destroy the law. But Jesus says that he is there to fulfill or accomplish the purpose of the law. Jesus saw the law as vital to the kingdom of God. He says, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. You cannot ignore the law and you cannot teach others to ignore the law unless you want to be the least in the kingdom. The greatest will not only keep the law, but teach others to do so as well. Then he says, but I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a shocking statement to his listeners. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were considered to be the most righteous of all people around. To meet this standard would mean that no one would be able to enter the kingdom of God. So what does true righteousness really look like? In his next teaching, Jesus will contrast six teachings from the law with the teaching of the Pharisees and the Jewish teachers of the law. He will start a law with, you have heard, or some variation of that statement. Then he will conclude with, but I say, to clarify the teaching that God really intended. I want you to note two things about these comparisons. First, Jesus is equating himself with Jehovah. This is not his first time to do this, and it won't be the last, but Jesus' message is clear. I am the Son of Jehovah come to earth for you. Secondly, all of the amplifications of the law will challenge our hearts. Do our hearts match our actions? He starts with the command, you shall not murder. This is, of course, one of the Ten Commandments. Remember, we said that Jehovah gave Moses laws while up on Mount Sinai? The incident, as recorded in the book of Exodus, starts with a list of commandments. These have come to be called the Ten Commandments, and yes, it is also the title of an awesome movie. 
Jesus says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. And I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. So being mad at someone is the same as murder? Yep. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that if you call someone a name, specifically in Jesus' example, an idiot, ever done that before? Or if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. We'll talk about that in a moment. Furthermore, Jesus says that if you have something against a brother or sister when you go to church, you need to be reconciled with that person before you offer your worship to Jehovah. Or if you're on your way to court against someone, seek to reconcile first. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. So the issue is not so much murder, The issue is based in the heart. How do I feel about this person? Jesus is calling us to reconciliation. A little later on, Jesus will tell us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He will explain that this is the second greatest of all the commandments that have been given by Jehovah. Then he moves on to talk about sexuality. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. If you're old enough, you remember this scripture was a feature of former President Jimmy Carter's interview with Playboy magazine. Folks couldn't believe that this was in the scriptures then. But there it is. What is Jesus telling us? He's calling us to sexual purity, and that's all of us, not just men. I like the way it's paraphrased in the message. He says, you know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices— they also corrupt. Purity is a matter of the heart, like loving your neighbor, a topic which will be addressed more specifically next week. Jesus then goes on to say that if your eye is the problem, you'll need to gouge it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. As we proceed through Jesus' teaching, we'll hear more statements of hyperbole like this. Here Jesus is just pointing out the importance of purity and kingdom life. In both of these commands, Jesus references hell. So let's talk about it. In Jesus' stories, episodes 4 and 8, we talked a little about hell. We said that it was a place created for Satan and his angels. This word translated as hell in the book of Matthew actually refers to a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was always burning, smoldering probably, as the refuse was being consumed. It was a place that was disgusting, unpleasant. Fire is an image of punishment that is used in both the Old Testament and New Testament for those who disobey Jehovah. So this garbage dump represents the ultimate destination for those who are disobedient to Jehovah. And that is the point Jesus is making. There is punishment for disobedience 
to Jehovah. And that's our stopping point for this week. Next week, we'll continue with Jesus' teaching. He talks to us about divorce, keeping of vows, revenge, and love. That'll be in two weeks on the next Jesus Stories. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.